We're going to, to do something a little bit different this morning. We're taking a break. We've been in a, in a series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, but we're going to, to look here in just a second at, at several uh, various texts. So the, the way you probably want to follow me this morning is simply following along there with those texts uh, that are printed in your bulletin. Let me, um, let me actually go ahead and pray for us before we start. Father, uh, thank you. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to, to look at your word and, and, and hear the preaching of your word. Uh, I pray that you would help me to present it truthfully and accurately. I pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be uh, at work in planning uh, these words in our hearts and uh, changing us where we need to change. Uh, and above all, giving us hope in our great Savior, Jesus. And we pray it. In his name, amen. Uh, several years ago, a, a friend of mine was the, the campus minister with RUF at Auburn University, and uh, there was an ongoing conversation at that time about dating and, and courtships and the, pro, and courtship and the pros and cons of all these things. And, and he said this in that conversation, if a man of character who demonstrates that he loves Christ above all wants to date my daughter, I'm buying But if a man demonstrates that he doesn't live a godly life, he can read all the dating books he wants. He can be committed to courtship, but he ain't getting my girls unless he can get past my 12 gauge. A man who dates with character will probably marry with character. A man who courts without character is going to be a lousy, unreliable husband. A woman who is discontent in Jesus now will be a discontent and miserable wife. The problem with dating is not dating, it's a gospel problem. Uh, I mentioned just a second ago, we have been in a series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to take a break for two or three weeks to talk about the office of elder, and I'm going to tie in what I just said in a minute. Uh, But why are we stopping to spend a couple of weeks talking about the office of elder, talking about these leaders that God places over us as a church body? Uh, Our church is currently a missions church in the Presbyterian Church in America. And that means that we are under the authority of another church. We're under the authority and oversight of Mount Calvary Presbyterian Church uh, out in the the Walnut Grove area. And while we are a missions church, Mount Calvary's elders serve as our elders. That's why many Sundays you will see one of their elders here worshiping with us. In order for us to to no longer be a mission church and become a particular church, and particular churches is churchy PCA language for what happens when we rip up our learner's permit and kick mama out of the car and drive by ourselves. All right, that's that's supposed to be funny. Anyway, that 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 it was funny in my head. Um, That that's where we're moving as a congregation. That's where we're going. Where we where we will be our own our own deal. And one of the things that has to happen for us to be our own deal is that we have to have three ruling elders. We have to elect three ruling elders, and we're hoping to do that, honestly, in, in, in a couple of months. Uh, and so if we're not already, if you're not already, we need to be thinking about as a congregation who God may be raising up to be elders among us. So that's why we're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about it. So what is my quote about dating? What in the world does that have to do with elders and selecting elders? Let me change the last couple of sentences of that quote and see if it makes sense for you. 
A man can read all the books on eldering he wants and have gifts for ministry for days, but if he lacks character, he doesn't need to get anywhere near the office of elder. A man who operates without character now is going to be a lousy elder. A man who is discontent in Jesus now will be a discontent and miserable elder. Uh, A guy can read a lot of books about dating. He can follow strict rules of courtship. But if he lacks gospel-produced character, you don't want him anywhere near your daughter. An elder can read a lot of books about eldering. He can have a lot of gifts for ministry. He may even look like a great candidate from the outside, but if he lacks gospel-produced character, you don't want him as your elder. So so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk very briefly this morning about what an elder does, and then we're going to go into more detail on that next week. But we're going to, today we're going to talk about the character of an elder. Because as, as one author put it, eldership is much less about competence than character. Eldership is much less about competence than character. So uh, let's start here. And, and yes, we're going, to, we're going to read this text, but, but just hang me for a minute. Uh, let me give you a little background. An elder is, is basically a shepherd. Okay, an elder is a shepherd. Uh, the church is spoken of as a flock, and so an elder then is one of the shepherds who is over any given flock. So an elder is somebody who feeds the flock, who leads the flock, who protects the flock, and who cares for the flock, who cares for the church that he is an elder over. Uh, in the PCA, we have elders who are laymen who have regular jobs and then serve as shepherds, and we call those ruling elders, and we need to elect three of those as a congregation. And then we have teaching elders, and that's basically pastors like me who are in full-time vocational teaching ministry. And so, again, we want to talk about the character of these men who we would have shepherding uh, us. And I think as we go through this, don't, don't check out on me if you feel like this is irrelevant to you already. Like, I'm not an elder or whatever. I, I think this applies generally to, to men as a whole. Like this is what you want your young men to grow up to be. This is what maturity in the Christian faith looks like. And I think honestly, even though we don't have women elders, a lot of this stuff applies to women also. It's just, it's just good thinking about what a mature Christian looks like. So don't... So don't check out on me just because we're, we're trying to focus on uh, elders this morning. So four things about the character of an elder. Number one, an elder is a sinner saved by grace. An elder is a sinner saved by grace. So let's look at, our, look at some of our texts now. The first one is from Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, how? By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Uh, A few weeks ago, a friend of mine was complaining about the fact that Chaco was not warranting, honoring the warranty on his sandals. He felt like they had worn out too quickly and that Chaco should do something to replace or refund his money for this pair of sandals. And I said, look, they may not sell cool sandals, but if you own a company that will stand behind their warranty, you need to start buying stuff from L.L. Bean. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but L.L. Bean has like the craziest, they have a more crazy return policy uh, than Walmart. They have a, a satisfaction guaranteed, no matter what, return policy for their products. You don't have to have a good reason. You just take it back. You just send it back. And so people have bought bed sheets for their queen-size bed and decided a couple years later they wanted a king-size bed, and they have taken those sheets back to LLB, and they give them a set of king-size sheets. I'm not, I'm not making this up. People buy snowshoes for the winter season. And at the end of the season, they return those snowshoes for a refund from L.L. Bean. People have started buying used L.L. Bean stuff on eBay. And then in a large volume and taking it back. And getting a refund for it. And they actually are trying to cut that out. Like Even for them, it's like, okay, you're getting a little bit too crazy here. But my, one of the favorite stories I've heard is about a man who brought a shirt back. And he brought the shirt back and he said, these seams are wearing out. I'm not, I'm not really happy with this. And they said, well, how long have you had the shirt? Forty years. <laughs> Forty, Forty years. And not only did they refund his purchase price, they gave him enough money to go in and buy what that shirt or a similar shirt would cost today. In other words, they gave him the money back, not in 1976 dollars, but in 2000. Here's, here's what it cost we're giving you this much money to go and to buy a shirt from us. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, they're crazy. But I think that's a beautiful illustration of how the gospel works. What do we bring God? We bring God our sin. We bring God our clothes that, that we have worn out through our misuse. And we bring those and we hand those to Him. And He hands back to us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ that we don't deserve at all. He hands back to us exactly what we need to gain eternal life. Not something equivalent to what we've handed Him, but He hands us the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that it is our own. He gives us something infinitely better. We hand Him our sin. We hand Him our good deeds that are tainted with our our impure and wrong motives. And God says, I'm going to cover you with the very righteousness of My Son. I'm going to cover you with what Jesus has done. We give God our sin. He gives us the very righteousness of Jesus. A Christian is somebody who realizes they have no righteousness of their own. But who knows that God has offered to forgive sinners and cover them with what Jesus has done through His atoning death on the cross and through His life of perfect obedience. A Christian knows that their right standing with God doesn't come through anything they have done. But their right standing, as we talk about in the catechism question, comes completely through trusting and resting in Jesus and receiving Him uh, as their Savior.
If that's true of, of any Christian, how much more an elder? How much more an elder should an elder be aware of that? How much more should an elder, one who leads God's people, have to be keenly aware of their own sin? Keenly aware that they are they're offering nothing to God but their own filthy rags. But at the same time, they are rejoicing and resting in the righteousness that God has given them in Jesus Christ. An elder realizes the depth of their own sin and also the enormity of God's grace. And as this gospel grace burrows its way into their heart, and as it burrows its way into our hearts, they and we become people who more and more love God and more and more love our neighbors as well. An elder, first of all, has to be a sinner saved by grace. Secondly, an elder is learning to rest in grace. Look at our next text here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Uh, Jason Bourne is back in the movies again. Is it good? Is it all right? It's okay. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going to give anything away. Shocker. But because I, I, I haven't seen it yet. But you know, in the original movies, um, Jason Bourne is a, uh, is, is a man who is a trained CIA killer who has amnesia and he's desperately trying to figure out who he is. He's trying to discover his identity. And in that, what we spend so much time doing, trying to discover our identity, trying to craft an identity for ourselves even. An elder is somebody who is learning to ground his identity not in his possessions, not in his accomplishments, not in what other people think of him, but an elder is someone who should be learning to ground his identity in the fact that he is a child of God. That he is loved by God. That he is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't have to posture. He doesn't have to seek approval. None of that. Some of our, our high school students went down to, to RYM a few weeks ago. It's a conference for, for high school students in Panama City. And one of the seminars was titled there, I Don't Care What You Think. I Don't Care What You Think. And, and that was meant not in an arrogant way, but in, in the way of, I don't have to be driven by what other people think about me because I'm learning to rest in who I am in Jesus Christ. I'm I'm free to go out and to to serve and obey Jesus in radical ways even if the world laughs at me, even if the world thinks what I'm doing is crazy, even if the world disapproves and says what I'm doing is wrong. I'm free to go out and do that because my identity is grounded not in what they think of me, but in who I am in Christ and what God thinks of me. Uh, some of you know the name, some the older ones here uh, may know the name Rick Barry. Uh, Rick Barry was a basketball player many years ago, and he was one of the best free throw shooters in NBA history. He shot 90% uh, for his career. And you know how he shot? He shot underhanded. All right, granny, granny style, all right? That, that NBA player shot like that. He shot 90%. He went one season where he missed less than 10 free throws. All right, there are guys that miss that many free throws in the game now. Another famous NBA player, Wilt Chamberlain, 
1962, Wilt Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game and 25 rebounds a game. And in one particular game, he scored 100 points and he made 28 out of 32 free throws. Now, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but that's, that's, that's over 80. That's, that's, that's way up there. All right. And how did Wilt Chamberlain shoot free throws that year? He shot underhanded. That game, he shot underhanded. That whole season, he shot underhanded. It was the only year he did it. It's the only year he shot underhanded. The seasons before, he shot the regular way. The seasons after, he shot the regular way. And you know what season he had the highest free throw percentage of his career? The year he shot underhanded. It was his best year ever. And somebody asked him the obvious question, why did you go back to shooting the old way? And he said, I felt silly, like a sissy. And so I didn't want to do that. Rick Barry obviously would think, he thinks this is the best way you can possibly shoot free throws, but he can't convince anybody to try it. In today's NBA, there are two players that shoot underhanded. And one of them is Rick Barry's son. So they, they just don't want to do this. Why? Because their identity is caught up in what, what, what will people think of me if I'm shooting free throws underhanded or not secure enough in who they are to go and do that. An elder is somebody who's willing to shoot free throws underhanded. An elder is somebody who's willing to shoot free throws underhanded. He's not driven by what people think of him, but he's finding his identity in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Number three. Uh, an elder is seeking to grow in grace. Uh, on your page there from Second Peter 3. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Uh, imagine somebody coming up to Keith and saying, Hey, I want you to teach me to play the guitar. And then never bothering to practice. Uh, imagine somebody, it wouldn't make him happy with it. Imagine, it probably happens. Imagine somebody coming to me for marriage counseling and I say, hey, I think you should do this, this, and this. And they say, okay, and then they never do any of it. Never do any of it. An elder is someone who has a desire to be more like Jesus Christ. And they want to put these things in Scripture into practice. They want to grow in faith. And because of this, an elder is somebody who is making diligent use of the means of grace. They are regular in worship uh, on the Lord's Day. They seek out fellowship and accountability with other believers. And they are learning to be disciplined in the reading of the Scripture and in their their prayers for and with others. An elder is somebody seeking to grow in grace. And then last thing, but it's a long one so don't get too excited. Uh, An elder shows evidence of a work of grace in their lives. An elder shows evidence of a work of grace in their lives. You can see by their lives that they're seeking to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, here's how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy. And I'm not going to read the Titus passage this morning, but it, it, it covers very similar ground. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife... Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, I want to I work through this. I'm not going to go through it in any great depth. Uh, so men, if, if, if you're considering the office of the elder, my encouragement to you would be to go back and, and work through uh, this passage on your own. We as a congregation ought to, ought to be thinking about who are the, the men that, that demonstrate these character traits in their lives. We're not looking for perfect men, I need to say that. But we are looking for men who are striving to follow Jesus Christ, who are quick to repent when they stumble. They, they won't be demonstrating these traits perfectly, but they should be making real tangible progress in their walk with Jesus. So, ten of these, and we're going to go quick. Uh, number one, Paul says an elder should be above reproach. Above reproach. Reproach is an act of re- rebuke or disapproval. An elder should be above that. It doesn't mean you can never correct an elder, but you should be surprised that you're having to. Uh, an elder should be someone you wouldn't suspect of wrongdoing or of immorality. Uh, what above reproach then is fleshed out in all the rest of these characteristics here in 1 Timothy 3. But let me ask you this. Uh, if your co-workers or extended family found out that you were a leader at Grace, would they be surprised? Would they be surprised by that? Do they, do they consider you as someone who is above Reproach. Number two, an elder is to be the husband of one wife. And the idea here isn't uh, that a man who is remarried because of the death of his wife or because of divorce isn't allowed to be an elder any longer, um, provided that divorce is biblical. And, and neither is this forbidding single elders. Paul himself was single and commended singleness. And it's probably uh, forbidding something more than Polygamy as well. The idea is close to what you and I would say by a a one-woman man. It's someone who's pursuing sexual purity. It's someone who's devoted to their wife. Uh, It's someone, married men, are are you you wise and transparent in your relationships with women who are not your wife? Do do your children see you uh, as someone who's loving their mother well? An elder is a a one-woman man. Number three, uh, an elder is... Sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. Uh, To be sober-minded is to be temperate, vigilant, watchful. Uh, In a world that says, pursue your dreams, live it up, do whatever brings you pleasure. The Bible calls uh, you and I, whether we're elders or not, to, to to stop and think seriously about life. To be sober-minded. To look at ourselves and realize, hey, I'm, I'm not going to live forever. To realize that we are called to live responsibly before a holy God. If you and I were dropped in patrol, on patrol in Afghanistan somewhere tomorrow, we would be sober-minded and we would be alert. Paul is saying here, elders need to be sober-minded about life. Uh, he mentions also self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Do you exercise control over your thoughts and your words and your deeds? Are you taking care of yourself spiritually, physically, emotionally? Do you stop and assess how you're doing? Do you ask others to assess how you're doing? Are there places where you're giving 
given to excess? Uh, How do you react in certain situations? How do you react in stressful situations? How do you react when things go badly? How do you react when things are going well? Are you persistent? Do you persevere? Are you respectable? Do you live a godly life? Number four, an elder is to be hospitable. Uh, To be hospitable, hospitality is literally means to be a friend to strangers. To be a friend to strangers. Uh, and this is something Scripture specifically commands of all people and not just elders. Romans 12, 13, seek to show hospitality. Uh, Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Uh, do you demonstrate practical love to others? Do you welcome strangers? Do you welcome newcomers to, to Grace Presbyterian Church? Or are you just kind of in and out of here every week? Uh, do you tangibly demonstrate love and welcome to your neighbors? Are you willing to, to, to take people to lunch? Hospitality is something that begins in our hearts, uh, that grows as our hearts are enlarged because we're seeing how much we're loved by Christ, and that's producing in, not, in us a love for others. And these enlarged hearts lead to welcoming words and these welcoming words lead to shared meals and these shared meals in many cases lead then to shared lives um, kind of as, a, as a, a bit of a tangent here I, I'm convinced that hospitality is the most important thing we can be doing missionally as a church uh, it's been said that the front door of the home is the side door of the church the front door of the home is the side door of the church. Uh, and so we ought to strive to be a church that welcomes people onto our front porches and into our homes for shared meals, not expecting that every person who comes into our home will somehow wind up at grace, and not doing it for that reason, like, oh, we're just going to go get people in this way, but simply practicing biblical hospitality because as we welcome people into our homes, we are in some ways also showing them what it's like to be welcomed into our church as well. Uh, hospitality. It's, it's foundational, I think, for how we're seeking to grow the kingdom uh, in Spartanburg. Showing hospitality to one another, to your neighbors, to strangers. That's how people are brought into the body. It's how relationships within the body are strengthened as well. Well, I'll keep moving. Number five, the elder is not to be a drunkard. Uh, scripture commends the use of alcohol in moderation. It's a good thing, but it's also something that can be abused. So an elder needs to be wise in his use of alcohol. Number six, an elder is not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Uh, do you get caught up in foolish arguments? Do you always have to win? Are you patient and gentle in the midst of conflict? Are you uh, a peacemaker? Number seven, an elder is not a lover of money. Uh, do you tithe? Uh, if we as a church are going to ask members to tithe, we need to have elders who set the pace in that and who tithe as well. Do you give money to charity or do you spend it all on you? Do you, do you ever give sacrificially? Do you manage your money well? Uh, Charles Wesley was uh, hanging a new picture in his home one day And someone came in and he could tell that they needed a a thicker coat 
for the winter. And he reached into his pocket to give them some money to go buy a new coat. And he realized he didn't have enough money to give them anything to go buy a new coat. And so this is the conversation he had with himself. He said, will your master say to you, will Jesus say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've decorated these walls with the money that might have protected her from the cold. You've decorated these walls with the money that might have protected her from the cold. Uh, Later on, Wesley would begin to try to limit what he spent on himself so that he would have more to give to the poor. One year, his income was 30 pounds and his living expenses were 28, and so he gave two away. The next year, he made 60 pounds, and so he lived again on 28 and gave the rest away. The third year, he made 90 pounds, and he lived on 28, and he gave the rest away. One year, he made 1,400 pounds, and he lived on 30. He bumped up a couple. He's <laughs> um, so selfish. Um, what, what one author said that Wesley's income in today's dollars, I guess that year, would have been $160,000, and he lived on $20,000. Now, I'm not saying we all have to go be Charles Wesley. Uh, Money is something that's very easy to be legalistic about. God has given us material gifts to enjoy, but it's easy to love money, isn't it? And it's easy to love the comforts that money gives us and to not be generous. An elder needs to be somebody... He was generous. An elder needs to be a generous person. Number eight, uh, an elder must manage his own household well. Uh, does the prospective elder shepherd his family? Do you shepherd your family? Is he a spiritual leader in the family? Does he pray with and for his children? Are children obedient? Uh, number nine, the elder shouldn't be a, a recent convert. We want elder to be someone who's been a Christian for a while, who's mature in the faith, not someone young in the faith because there's risk of becoming puffed up and conceited by this position that you have been called to. And then finally, number 10, an elder should be thought of well by outsiders. And I mean, everybody likes you, uh, but you ought to have a generally good reputation in the community. If we were to go out into the community away from grace and say, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? We, we, ought, to, we ought to hear good things in general about you that's a lot I mean that, that's a lot so uh, think about that pray through that guys who are considering this office pray about this in your own hearts it's, and again not are you perfect in this but is God working on you in these areas are you seeking to become this type of men uh, and, and the rest of us need to be praying for the men who we've got going through this training right now that they would become this type of man. That our sons would become this type of man. But let me close with this. Uh, do you know what the French word for sunflower means? Does anybody know? If I could pronounce it, I'd read it. But um, And then you might know. But it means turns with the sun. Turns with the sun. Because I actually never realized this, but young sunflowers literally turn through the day and follow the course of the sun. I guess if you sat there long enough, you could, you could see them doing this. And researchers are starting to think it's because they have this internal clock that's roughly set on a, on a 24-hour day. And the reason they turn is because different sides of the stem grow more at different types of the day. And so that causes the, the plant to literally turn and to follow the sun. And it's, it's very interesting to me. But for our illustration, all right, and this is silly, 
But, but we want elders who are sunflowers because they're following the sun, because they're following Jesus. We want elders who shoot free throws underhanded and who are sunflowers. So put that as your, that's your middle picture. Or maybe we'll buy them costumes. I don't know. Um, we want elders who follow Jesus, who follow Jesus, not just when they're young, but over the course of their entire lives. So let's strive to be that type of people, and let's pray that God would give us uh, that type of elder. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, thank you for uh, this office that you give to the church, that you do give us uh, shepherds to to watch over us. Uh, I pray that you would be raising up godly men from among us uh, to serve in this role. I pray that you'd raise up men that we would be willing to be uh, submissive to, that we would allow to lead us. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us that you would be working these character traits of godliness in us. And Father, we thank you for the elders of Mount Calvary and the, the care that they have given to us. And we pray uh, for the blessings, the, your blessings on their leadership uh, out there as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.